Welcome to Planner Parlay, the show where we come together under a flag of truce to talk about small agency strategy. On today's show, our guests dive into the future of strategy. They discuss the global study by Warwick that breaks down the four key trends that are emerging for strategists in 2020. Join Adam Pierno, author, podcaster, and director of strategy for Arizona State University, Kathy Taylor, the managing editor for Warwick in New York City, and of course, John Roberts, the chief of strategy at Truth Collective in Rochester, New York, as they break down these trends and what it all means for small agency planners. Pull up a chair and listen in. All right. So, Kathy, I want to start with you because one of the things that we're going to use for a little bit of structure in this discussion is a report that's put out by WARC, which is uh, the organization that you work for, and you're going to talk a little bit more about that. But um, you recently put out a report in August called The Future of Strategy, and it's a fantastic report. There's a lot of depth to it. We're obviously not going to be able to go into all the details that are inside it, but we want to use it as a little bit of structure to talk about how strategy and planning are changing. Um, but could you tell us a little bit about the report in terms of how, how was it compiled? Um, where, when did it start? Like, can it give us a little history on the report? Uh, yeah, it started as a report about three um, years ago when we were having a lot of informal conversations with strategists about where the discipline was heading. And also, uh, we, we hosted a debate in Cannes, uh, I think since 2014, called The Future of Strategy. And so we decided, you know, it would help if we really turned this into kind of an official report. So uh, at this point, what we do is uh, a big survey with, I believe, 800 strategists um, globally about how they feel about their roles, what they feel their place is in the industry, and where the discipline of strategy is, is heading. So you know, strategists have always been a key audience for us. And so it's kind of important for us to make sure that uh, we're in deep touch with them and, and, and that we really kind of have our finger on the pulse of what's going on with strategy. Excellent. And uh, Adam and John, um, have you guys used this report before? Starting with John, like where, where did you discover it and kind of how have you been able to apply it to your work? Yes, Josh. Uh, and to be honest, I use Walk quite a lot. It's a great font of knowledge to, to start, kick off the, the strategic process and also to learn from others. But I think what's interesting for me when I think about you know a report such as the future of strategy is it allows me to think about, learn from others. As Kathy said, 800 is an enormous base. And even though I'm thinking about it from you know the small agency perspective, I think there's a really interesting overlap between what strategists worldwide are thinking and feeling about the future and what it means for us within a small agency. So I tend to use it as a learning point, both for um, inquisitive, I'm learning something new, but also affirmative. Some of the conversations and topics that we're talking about here within my company are relevant to the future. Yeah, I, I, I use it in the same way. I mean, the trend reports and, and work overall I've used as more for big picture planning for my team and to understand what kind of training is necessary, what's out there, what kind of research and what kind of work has been done in the space to, to help everybody do their jobs better or even understand sometimes what the job is and how it's changing. Uh, because sometimes when you're in it, it's, it can be very, very hard to know that we've waded over to this other area and didn't realize that the entire industry has done that or somehow we've gotten really far afield and now we're doing something that's way outside of our our supposed role and, and have to figure out how we get back over to the, the line we're supposed to be on. One of the things I want to do is dig in a little bit on the report itself. So the uh, there's four major themes that are covered. Uh, the first is kind of the rise of customer experience. 
The second is the, the desire for strategists to leave agency life and go client side. The third is the lack of clarity undermining the value of strategy. And then the fourth is despite all the data that's out there, and there is more data now than there's ever been in the history of humanity, there's still a human touch needed. So we're gonna kind of break each one of those points down and talk about them a little bit, kind of as a group. So on the rise of customer experience, Kathy, can you tell us a little bit about kind of, give us a little more detail on what the report's saying around kind of this major theme. Uh, Well, it's interesting because uh, I was looking at an earlier report and customer experience didn't really come up and now it's becoming more central. And there are a couple of themes here. One is that the rise of direct-to-consumer brands is leading to uh, a need to create greater customer experiences because obviously most of that experience uh, you know, is not only digital, but obviously it's, it's direct. So you're getting beyond the actual brand that you might hold into your hand to how you kind of manage the relationship that the customer has has with that brand. And that all goes back to customer experience. Another um, point that that comes out uh, in some of the research is that customer experience can be sort of vanilla and generic across a lot of brands because we know there are those baseline things that customers want to have be easy, like making a one-click transaction. So it becomes uh, partly the role of the strategist to really discover how that customer experience can also be unique to an individual brand so that we're not just creating a bunch of very similar experiences where the brand kind of loses the place where it it becomes something distinguishing. That's right. Yeah, we've seen we've seen out in the world too that the closer we get to those one-click experiences and and the the past decade of removing friction from everything that it leads to act, people forgetting They don't remember what brand they did it. They don't remember a password. They don't remember anything about that distinguishes one from the other. And so the the original uh, torchbearers for removing friction and that side of the experience maybe didn't consider or or just, you know, in their quest for conversions, they led the, the entire brand side pulled towards this efficiency, which which actually hurts the brand. There, there needs to be some appropriate level of friction to make people pause and remember, oh, this I'm actually buying on Amazon, which has a one-click experience versus, you know, some other some other brand that has the same a similar experience and delivers the same products. So that's interesting, Adam. So um, you, you talk about the role of friction in the experience to remind people. Um, that, that's a that's almost like a positive aspect of friction, right? Yeah, there 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 has to be some trigger or some cue that that the brand can own. I mean, it's the reason you put mnemonics in TV spots is because they can all look pretty similar. If the age old, and I'm sure, John, you've heard this a million times when you're presenting storyboards, the client says, well, what if someone leaves the room and they're just listening from the other room? You know, what are they going to hear? And you go, well, Jesus, it's a TV ad. They have to be able to, we have to trust that they're going to see it. But that's why there's mnemonics that we put on. That's why Netflix has its signature sound. There's some kind of, maybe that's not friction but it is some other cue that reminds you who you're interacting with. It's one brand versus a different brand. Well, you know, it's interesting because as I was talking about about the need to make the consumer experience sort of special to you while at the same time taking into account all these factors that make the user experience easier, I was sort of hard pressed beyond uh, the usual suspects like Amazon to say to myself, well, who is really doing this well? And I wondered if you had any thoughts on 
brands that are outside of the usual suspects that really do manage to communicate their brand while at the same time kind of delivering on that baseline experience? That's a good, that's a good question. And I would, I guess I would think about airlines and the way that they've all moved to uh, mobile passes and some of them handle it a little bit more gracefully than others. So when you're, when you're getting on a Southwest flight, they don't really care what type of thing you wave under the under the light, as long as the they get the sound they need and they let you on, they let you board the plane. Uh, but it seems like the carriers, like American and Delta, have figured out a way to get you to pause as you're boarding the plane um, and and elevate that moment. But I'd have to I'd have to think. Yeah, you stumped me there because we always do default to the Apples and Netflixes and Amazons of the world that are the are the big ones that are the touchstones. Yeah, I wasn't trying to stump anybody. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it is a great question, Kathy, and I think one of the things that comes back to me is you were talking earlier about DTC, and certainly that's the base of, uh, in this report, about the, the customer experience. So when I think about the direct-to-consumer brands, okay, we all know about, you know, Dollar Shave Club and so on, but I think a lot of brands now are starting to think about what's my interaction, the experience, not just with the product itself, but when the product is delivered. So the unboxing, for example, which isn't just an appleism, but is true to everybody. There's certainly conversations we've had with a couple of our clients here about how do we build out a broader experience over and above the consumption of product. And for me, when I was looking at this report and thinking about uh, you know, other things we're looking and learning from about the rise of customer experience, I think what's really interesting for, for strategists, for us all, is that simplistically, we used to think about this as, you know, I have a personal vendetta against the, the old funnel because it implies that we're done when we drop out the bottom of the funnel with a purchase. So we tend to think about, for example, the McKinsey journey where you think about the continuous ongoing customer journey from initial consideration, active evaluation, purchase and post-purchase. But what's really interesting for this when I think about this experience is it isn't just about using the journey for communication but also thinking about what's the role of the brand and how do I connect the brand through an experience. Some experiences, as we all know, okay, we always used to focus on the supermarket shelf okay, or the retailer shelf. And now it's actually, you know, Adam, your point is a great one of the airlines are thinking about the connection I have with, through my mobile or, or cell phone. How do I connect not just with my ticket, but what experience are you having with my airline that actually helps your journey through? It's cool. Yeah, and there's, uh, Kathy, one of the brands that immediately popped into my mind when you mentioned that was uh, a brand like Stitch Fix, where they have such a curated uh, shopping experience for their user all the way through to like the way that you get the box and you open the box and the handwritten letters or notes that might come inside is another really great example of a, of a newer brand that I think is really putting a lot of effort and energy into that customer experience to keep the customer retention there. Right, and, and also with with brands like that, um and Amazon, if they didn't pioneer this, they, they certainly made it something brands had to pay attention to was just make it easy to return whatever you need to return, because that actually is a real central pain point for a lot of people. So you see that with some of the, the newer brands like Stitch Fix, that's, that's just part of the proposition. Yep. Um, and one question for everybody before we move on from customer experience is... Uh, John mentioned it a little bit, and I think you alluded to it as well, Kathy, is that the experience is now broader than the actual experience with the product, correct? Like we're talking about potentially the entire ecosystem of, and I'll use a brand like Vans as an example, where 
they create so much content that surrounds their products that they're building a user experience that's outside of what would traditionally have been thought of as um, kind of the customer experience. I don't know if that makes sense the way I said it, but has it grown past the product itself and the store shelf and become more? Yeah, we're doing some research on that right now as part of a collaborative that we're in to see where people draw the lines in their lives of what's in and what's out as an experience. What do they consider? We're comparing um, branded experiences against everyday experiences. So what mode people are in? Are they in work mode, uh, family mode, shopping, consumer mode? And then how do they consider those things? Because if Nike is traditionally doing huge immersive television ads or amazing long-form videos, why wouldn't I consider that an experience if it gets an emotional reaction out of me that leads to memory when I'm looking for my next pair of sneakers? Uh, so we're, we're trying to figure out how to draw those lines and, and identify where someone like Vans, how that, what used to be viewed as pure consumption or media or, you know, uh, just kind of an expenditure to, in exchange for eyeballs and attention, what does that mean in terms of the brand experience overall and, and how does that change your feeling of the product? And Adam, that's got to be really interesting when you think about, you know, your, your current life at Arizona State of... It isn't just about the bricks and mortar of the academic establishment, but it's about creating experience for students before they arrive and then whilst they're there. A hundred percent, yeah. And so the, the teams that are working on student recruiting and are working on the student, there's a different team that works on the student uh, experience here while they're here on campus or while they're online students. That's actually a third team. We are all very coordinated to partner up and say, oh, this worked you know, something like adding su success coaches for our online students has led to this uptick in re student retention and keeping them enrolled, keeping them engaged, keeping their, their performance up. So how can we apply that to other areas? What does that mean for alumni, which is really my charge? You know, how can we improve the experience based on what's working with another constituent group? It's, re it's really, uh, it's huge to watch the big machine roll and, and see how we all share ideas. And it's interesting for me, Adam, just building on that because, you know, fundamentally it's really interesting for strategists because it gives us an, a new, something new, okay, the, to build curiosity into and to learn from about how do we apply it and experience. But we're also seeing this from, you know, from a small agency perspective when we work with our clients is it isn't just about a dollar media budget of an execution of a communication campaign. So I think by default what's really interesting for me is many of our clients now are we don't necessarily call it out as a customer experience, but it's definitely the work that we do with our clients. How do we build out that customer experience over and above a paid media communication component? We have a biotech client, for example, and what we're doing now is we're building out understanding how do we deliver the ongoing experience, not once they've gone, once their customers in the pharmaceutical field have bought their product, their testing product, how do we actually now start to build in a longer term relationship of when do they need information? When do they need inspiration? What form is that content? Where do they go? What's the experience that they have with people on an individual level? The the experts within the company, as well as actually with the information itself. So it's a really interesting challenge thinking about that, which kind of, to me, starts to get into that second point in the trend of, of the strategists wanting to leave agency life. So point two is uh, that strategists want to go to agency life. And Adam, I know you're going to have some great insight to this, but Kathy, tell, tell our listeners a little bit kind of about what the report says about um, theme number two. 
Theme number two is really interesting. And it was really about how many strategists think they're going to leave the agency business for their next gig. And it was 63%, really high percentage. And it wasn't just going to clients. It was going also to um, uh, consulting companies like Deloitte, Accenture, who we all know are getting more involved in the agency business. And when I looked at this statistic, it was sort of this really old school sentiment that came to mind, which is that I think throughout the history of the agency business, there has always been a perception that maybe going to the client side or in this this case also the consultancy side was sort of like moving up the food chain and getting you know closer to uh, the business and I guess it really depends on how a client or a consultancy or an agency, you know, how they manage their relationships as to whether that's true. But it always seems that, you know, the agencies at times get sort of low on the, the totem pole and the brand certainly, and now to a certain extent, the consultancy might be higher up the totem pole. I don't know whether that's true or not. I think it's a perception though. And you also have to realize that it could also be financial, which is not addressed in the report. But there's also always the perception that you get paid more if you go to the client side. And I guess that's a perfect time to hand it off to Adam and ask him why you didn't go to the dark side. <laughs> yeah, so as part of this show, we'll be posting my W-2s for the last 10 years. Exactly. I think it's only, it's only fair. Right, you did right. it for the Thank money, you, Adam. Adam. Well, you know, it's funny. I've, I've worked on the creative side as well, and I, I always felt on the creative side it was looked at as a as a down move to go to the client side from the agency for some reason. That was the perception. But on the strategy side, you're right, um, especially looking back at some older trend reports where uh, you could see strategists saying, my influence in the agency is relatively higher than it is with clients. And so you you kind of, I, I gleaned from that, that people feel like they may be able to make more of an impact on a business by going to the client side, which is part of what drove me to the client side. Um, I'm more of doing pure play strategy now than I was when I was a CSO at an agency uh, because there it's just a, a hole that was here that, that they didn't have a position to do. And when they wrote the job description that I saw, I said, oh, we got to, this is the match. This is the thing. But I'm creating personas. I am thinking about this this uh, constituency and what moves them, what motivates them, and how we can get them to engage. Um, and I'm blessed that all we're measuring is brand affinity. Um, I'm not I'm not held to any kind of donation or fundraising goals. And that that sort of loops back um, to one one thing that we've seen across reports, which is frustration with working on short-term projects as opposed to long-term vision on the agency side. Yeah, great point, Kathy. And it's interesting to me that that that's kind of like my thought and the segue between strategists now being able to be more involved, Adam, as you're talking about, with the customer experience, in some ways is very liberating, right? Because it means that we're not being tied to the execution of a specific campaign or or, or short-term activation. And that's, that was what was interesting for me, that the notion about liberation for the strategist leaving agency life, okay, client side, as we heard from Adam and as Kathy said, also consulting, means that they're, they're not tied to a tactic or an activation period. I thought what was really interesting, Kathy and I were recently at Stratfest and, you know, discussions with small agency in Nepali is 
small agency strategists see greater opportunity for doing more than just a campaign. So there's a really interesting connection to me when I looked at this, the future trends of, yes, you can actually definitely get more of the broader, more holistic customer experience by going client-side, but I also think you can get it from a small agency. Building a relationship with clients where you're there to solve their problems, not to just execute a campaign. That's my pitch for small agency. Oh, no. Strategist. And John, that's 100% true. The, the smaller the agency, the more hats you're wearing, the more roles that you're serving, the, the more people on the client side of the organization you're introduced to because you don't have that vertical structure where there's an experienced strategy team and a UX strategy team. And for a lot of agents, small agencies, if you're, if you're the person in the planner seat, you're doing all those things or at least helping with all those things. So if you're at a small agency, you're getting a lot of experience, which is amazing on the output, but sometimes it's daunting when that assignment hits your desk or your inbox and you realize like, I don't know what the hell that is. I don't know how to do that. Let me, now I'm going to have to go into a Google rabbit hole to figure out how to do it. You're so right. But also, you know, what I've learned is the client doesn't know how to do it either. You know, so they're not looking. <laughs> true. They're That's not, very true. They're not looking for a silver bullet. They were looking for a partner to help figure it out. Yeah, a lot of times it's, it's, they, they just need a partner to help uh, ask the questions or go do a little bit of incidental research. Bring them case studies that say, oh, look, someone else had a similar problem. Here's how they solved it. Or we've done something like this for another client. That may not be a pitch deck for the solution, but it may be the thing that triggers an idea or that client may say, oh, okay, let's go talk to the product team let's go talk to this team in your biotech case. It's like, let's go talk to the science team behind this and figure out you know, what, how we can untap this information that, that the audience seems to be interested in. Perfect, so let's look at, uh, at theme number three, which is the lack of clarity undermines strategy value. Kathy, walk us through this a little bit and unpack it for the audience. So it's, this is kind of an interesting one. Uh, we, it talks a lot about how the movement of strategists away from agencies may be exacerbated by the perception that strategy is being undervalued in agencies. And part of this actually gets into uh, raw compensation in that we found that a lot of the strategists feel like they are a sort of value add as opposed to being a discipline um, that that gets billed the way creatives do and account people do. And again, it gets back into what we were just talking about too, that there's a perception that, that focusing on upstream business problems and solving those is is more what strategists kind of view as their sweet spot than working on these you know short-term project-based initiatives. Kathy, I, th I think it's really interesting when I, when I looked at this report and how you just summed it up is, is very smart thinking about it is a really common problem across agencies and very true small agencies of the demonstration of the value of strategy. And it's interesting to me because, you know, I'm blessed to be in a company where strategy is foundational to what we do. So we don't have those kind of like um, angst discussions internally of being able to prove our value. That said, I think what was really interesting for this, for me, when I looked at this, this lack of clarity undermining strategy's value is, I, I actually read into it at another level, which was, this is a fundamental issue for strategy full stop. It's not just a trend for you know the future, um, demonstrating the value of it trend for future, but the lack of clarity in strategy is a definite hindrance to proving the value of it. 
What I mean by that is I feel that one of the biggest challenges we planners, strategists all have is how do we be smart but really, really simple? How do we facilitate a very, very clear strategy and informed opinion how to win but in a very simple manner so we strip bare anything that doesn't matter to really focus on what does? Yeah, I think that's that's critical importance when you're trying to get to what a problem, how to build a plan to solve the problem. Lack of clarity to me where it impacts uh, strategists and planners is really the poor defining of the problem itself. And so I have this sticky note that has been on tacked to my wall for, I don't know, maybe 10 years that says, what is the real problem we're trying to solve? Because the client, the your coworker, your colleague, the creative director may come and say, well, we have this, this problem. There's usually a root, a root problem if you ask you know, the six whys, and if you keep going deeper and deeper and deeper, you're, you're going to get to what is the real problem that needs to be addressed to fix all of these other symptoms. And sometimes it's put forth in the first sentence, you know, hey, this is what we're trying to do. But sometimes if, if uh, a brand comes to you and says, hey, we want to you know, increase sales, I think we all know that, well, okay, well, we can't do that with a TV spot. I can't create one thing that is going to magically do that. There's probably some underlying business challenges that are, that are driving that. What, el- what else can we do on top of meeting your, your creative needs? Well, do you think also with, with strategy, and, and this is probably an age-old problem, is you know, if you're the creative person, you create this somewhat tangible thing, whether it's a TV commercial or you design this beautiful website or what what or you create an experience, whatever it is. And if you're a media person, you might be responsible for that strategy that is expressed in obviously where you place the advertising. So strategy becomes a little bit amorphous in that context. And is is that an issue? And if so, how do you uh, solve for that to kind of make the role of the strategist perceived as more concrete, like the way some of these other disciplines are. Yeah, I've heard this discussed as as um, artifacts. You know, what are the artifacts of our work? What are the the documents that we leave behind? And then for planners, it's the the self doubt of you know, is this document enough to make me feel like I've made a contribution? When I go home and I tell my kids I, I make decks for a living, they they don't understand, but that's essentially my my work output is a series of slideshows that I <laughs> that have a collection of data and insights and ideas in them. But that's it. So you know that that can get into a person's uh, psyche for sure. And you don't have a demo reel or a website full of amazing creative things. So it's it's important that the creative that the strategy people know how to link the insights they did to the outputs and whether that's business results or whether that's creative or whether that's just in, improved performance or understanding. I, I think that's really important on how that gets communicated back to the planner from, from the teams uh, looking at results. Adam, Hunt, uh, absolutely agree. And Kathy, it's a really good point because I think there's a, that, that leads to some of this, this natural anxiety that planners have, which is twofold in my mind. One is because um, strategy is really easy until you have to do it. So everyone has an opinion on, on what strategy can be, but the strategist is responsible for pulling together everyone's opinions and inf- informing and actually driving a genuine point of difference to get to something which is really clear and distinctive in a deck. 
right in right brief, you know? distilled down in a very clear yeah. way right absolutely and i think and yet the the funny thing is for me, that as, as wonderful as this is, it's also kind of unfulfilling because you still don't know if it's right until you see the work. And then actually, you still don't know if the work's right until you see the results. So it can be a long, long time coming before you, you can pat yourself on the back and say, that was right. And sometimes, John, the work can be right. You know, the work can be great. It can be right. It could be a good brief. The client can love it. And it could still not deliver the result for whatever reason. It gets out in the world and it just doesn't move people in the right way. So it's it's... It's a really, it can be a really tricky space to be in and feel like you know that you've done your job or not. So for all you strategists that listen to this now, you can start nodding and going, great, I'm not the only one that feels crazy. I hope, yeah, I hope people recognize that, hear that and say, oh yeah, I've been thinking that too. Right, and then there's also the issue of the serendipity that is kind of that alchemy between um, what's the, what the strategist does and what the creative person does. And I would wonder that, you know, if at times finding the connection between those two things is a, is a little funny because there's there's all of the data and all that kind of thing. And at some point, a leap takes place a lot of the times that is really hard to kind of pin down in, in, in concrete terms, but you know it's right. You're right. And in fact, that's kind of like, that's a leap both in terms of how the creative process takes the strategy and turns it into some magical form of storytelling but it's also a great segue into that that fourth trend for me right so we want to make sure we we cover the fourth theme um so despite all the data strategists have there still needs to be a human touch kathy can you explain this to the audience please well what we see with this is the problem of being almost too deep into data and meetings and dare I say it decks and not really being able to kind of go out and observe uh, consumers in their natural habitat so to speak or even just to be out there talking to people you see on the street or maybe in the store if, if it's a retail client or what have you so uh, there's a there's a need to spend some time in the real world, which seems really obvious, and it is obvious, but nonetheless, uh, and we all know that this is true of our lives, we tend to get farther and farther away from the subjects um, that we would like to, to reach out to or target because we're spending so much time looking internally at, at data dashboards and what have you. One of the things John has long been a big advocate of is, is the way emotion leads to action and connecting with people. So I want to throw this to you, John. How did this resonate for you? To be honest, I think it's a fundamental part of any great strategy is how do we add in, as, as it says in the report, that human touch. Because, you know, I'm not a neurologist, but neurology will tell you that System 1 thinking, Daniel Kahneman's System 1 thinking, we make our decisions on an emotional criteria first and foremost be it intuition or be it feeling. And then we post-rationalize. You know, there's a psychologist, Clotaire Rapai, that talks about reason is an intellectual alibi. And I love throwing that on the slide because it really starts to shift the role of data and the role of that human element that Kathy was talking about and ensure that we get the right perspective. The most important thing, I think, in any of the work that we do as strategists that really provides an opportunity for us to be more successful for the brands we serve, the clients we serve, is how do we ensure that there's a human element in the work that we do? 
there's a reason why, as you were talking about Adam earlier on, and that why is always driven by a human qualitative insight or understanding, not by a data point. Oh, yeah. And that's why I still, even though, you know, data has become a, a god uh, for a lot of marketing and really it's, it's hard to get anything sold through without, with, without data to support it, I still love uh, qual. And whether it's focus groups or whether it's online panels or online uh, communities that you can run, hearing people in their own words rationalize why they do what they do. Uh, never, I don't ask them to predict what they would do because people have no effing idea what they would do. But having them explain why they make the choices they make and watching them come full circle and sometimes seeing in their eyes that they realize they, I don't really know why I do this, but they still give you clues that tell how they're explaining it to themselves and that can really inform the work uh, or that can answer questions that you have or maybe questions that you haven't even put forth yet about the problems you're trying to solve. Then go get the quant. Then you'll know what you're asking about. Then you'll know what you're looking for and all that all those numbers and all those decimal points because otherwise it's sometimes having this wealth of data that we have here at ASU is amazing but if you don't really know what you're trying to solve for it's just you're just swimming around in a pool of numbers sometimes so it's been fantastic to hear the insights from all of you about kind of this future of of strategy future of planning but let's pretend there's two or three more what do you guys see? And I'm going to ask each of you in turn to kind of give me one trend that you think isn't represented, but maybe should be, if this was the top six instead of the top four. So Adam, I'm going to start with you. I've been pretty amazed as I'm, as I'm talking to planners about how much they really do. I know purpose is, is a buzzword, and it's, it's been a buzzword that's been beaten up a little bit recently. I've been pretty amazed by how much strategists and really people across industry want to build something bigger. So uh, as, I've, as I've interviewed people, as I've uh, you know, just talked to people in passing and across conversations on social media, that they do crave, it kind of aligns with that first trend where, uh, or the second trend where people want to go client side. I think part of the reason they want to go client side is because they'll have a, they feel that they may have a singular goal to be working towards. And purpose dovetails into that. that We all are seeing from whatever perspective you're looking, there's things that could be fixed out in the world. And if there's a way to use your skills and your talents to fix some of those things or address some of those things, it is moving people. And and I think companies that actually have it baked into their real DNA are going to pull people in who really talented people who want to solve problems and not just sell more widgets. Kathy, how about you? Well, it, it just so happens that I'm working on a report that has to do a lot of, with that. So um, it's quite top of mind with me. And I guess what I'm really going to do is is more elaborate, elaborate on Adam's point than anything else. And that's really to do with not just the fact that brands are looking for bigger meaning and that consumers want them to have bigger meanings. That's a really important point. This isn't, we are no longer in that place where you can do a kind of a one-off campaign or adopt a cause for three months and then drop it. And so, you know, when I look kind of towards that that sort of upstream uh, thing that planners want to be part of, 
it, you know, what I see is is sort of the embracing of really long-term, you know, commitments towards a purpose. And, and that's something that is super big picture. Um, a lot of it does have to do with environmental concerns, but that is really where this all seems to be going. And I, there's really no sign right now that it's a fad. It's, it's really about brands embracing much bigger issues than they ever have before, not because uh, it's great for the brands to some extent, but also because it really is what consumers are expecting now. So for me, just just adding quickly to that, because I think both both Adam and Kathy have, have, a, have a really great expression on that role of purpose. I think it's true, by the way, for agencies as well. So for agencies to ask themselves, what's our purpose? You know, it drives us at truth. So we, we are uh, fundamentally believe in a higher purpose around noble ambition. How do we fulfill um, our client needs as well as our own on, on achieving more? Because ultimately that's what ambition is. And you never get anywhere without some ambition. But with a nobility to it of understanding that we all have a role to play, a bigger role to play than purely self. It's not about being self-serving. It's not about purely for the brand's own commercial benefit as well. Kathy, you and Adam, you were both talking about. If I had an extra trend, it's interesting when I was looking at this, I would think more about one of creative disruption. And I mean that from a strategic perspective, less about the creative execution, although of course that matters, but my world of strategy would be, I believe that it becomes even more important today in there's many more channels, there's way more content, there's way more needs people have, there's way more confusion as we talked about client side and as well. So how do we as strategists apply creativity in what we do and be disruptive? The most successful strategies are ones that create the opportunity for more success, not minimize risk. And that's a Harvard Business Review study over years has shown that. And I think that would be my trend and my challenge as well for, for us strategists would be, let's build on creative disruption in everything we do. Uh, Kathy, could you tell everybody where they can find this report and a little bit about work? Well, the the way to the best way to find this report is uh, to subscribe to work. Uh, we we uh, want to provide a lot of value to our subscribers, so we are behind a paywall for the most part. But you can check out the site uh, a bit without without uh, without doing that. Um, but I urge people to do so. It's a really valuable resource, and uh, I kind of come from a background. Uh, from the advertising, trade magazines, Ad Week, Ad Age, etc., and they are wonderful. But what's wonderful about Work is that it provides something really different, and that it's a deep dive into virtually any marketing topic that you might want to know more about. So it's a really wonderful service, and uh, people should definitely check it out and see what's available to them when they have a, a real need to solve a problem, which is pretty much what this industry is about. Thanks everybody for joining us. This was such a great episode. The work report on the future of strategy is such a great tool and we highly recommend checking it out. Just to recap, the themes we covered, the rise of customer experience is creating new opportunities. Most strategists want to leave agency life and go client side. The lack of clarity in strategy is undermining value. And then despite all of the data we have, which is more data than we've ever had, the human touch is still really, really important. And then on top of that, our panel threw in a couple of extras that were really valuable. So 
Get the report, check out work, follow Adam on all of his channels, check out his podcast, Strategy Inside Everything, and join us again next week for Planner Parlay. Planner Parlay, a Truth Collective production.